Oh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21 is what we're looking at this morning. I enter this sermon with a little trepidation, if you will. Uh, in some ways, uh, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 is the culmination of, of everything he's been praying for and thinking about uh, up to this point. He's going to jump into application after this point, but this is the main kind of end of the teaching thrust of what he's been trying to get across, uh, even in some ways starting back with Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he's going to talk about standing firm in the Lord and not uh, giving in to the devil, uh, but that is more of an endurance passage, more than a, uh, you, you need to know this. It's also, in that sense, the, the culmination of several things. So it's the culmination of the idea of, of speaking the truth in love. <laughs> what does this look like to grow up in grace, to be an adult in grace? And it's kind of, he's coming to, a, to an end point of what, what, is look, what does that growing up in grace look like on a day-to-day basis? Walking in wisdom, right? Living with skill in God's world, not being foolish, but also not getting drunk, but again, speaking the truth in love. I remember uh, we would, uh, at various points in time, uh, we've uh, served hot dogs for the tailgaters at Iowa State, picked up the trash as a fundraiser. Um, but one of the things uh, we did at various points in time was we would engage uh, students who were at the game tailgating about spiritual things. Usually when they were drunk, unfortunately, right? Because that's what they do when they're tailgating, a lot of them anyway. Um, and I heard multiple stories over the years of students where you're actually having a good conversation. They're being honest about maybe some of their struggles, honest about how things are going in their lives. And, uh, and then they would say to the person they were in, in conversation with, you know what, uh, I would never have this conversation with you if I wasn't drunk. And in fact, I'm, I'm not going to be the same person tomorrow. I'm not going to be this open, this honest, this transparent when I'm not drunk. They were, they were transparent about that, <laughs> you know what I mean? right? <laughs> um, and what's interesting here is Paul wants that kind of open, honest communication, just not because of alcohol, <laughs> but because of the Spirit of God. And I realize, too, that as we look at this passage, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, because that's what he's talking about here, that we, we get into areas of, of theology that are broader than just this passage. The idea that, hey, I've, I've got to have an experience of the Spirit, that he's got to, in some ways, externally take control of me, and I've got to have some kind of experience of the Spirit where I maybe speak in tongues or I heal somewhere, I do something miraculous or something extraordinary. And as we look at the passage, I think we'll see that that's not the case here, that that's not what we should be searching for, some kind of ecstatic experience. And at the same time, I want you to understand that this is, in a sense, the culmination of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. Remember Ephesians chapter 3 where he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, the spirit works primarily inside out. It doesn't, it doesn't take over and give you this experience as much as it, it, it changes who you are and lets that change your life. And he wants that, that, that strength to happen in your spirit. Why? Or what's the result of that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Which sounds remarkably like be filled with the Spirit, (laughs) right? In a sense. And so his, his... when he gets here, it's not like be filled with spirit, like, like he could have skipped everything he said between Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5.18 and been like, well, I could have just said this. That's not, I think as we get into the passage, you'll see that that's not actually what, what's going on here, that, that he had to say everything that he said up to this point to then say, be filled with the spirit. But that the idea is, is that as you are filled with the Spirit, you, w- you will be strengthened to know the love of Christ. You will experience that love of Christ in your life in very practical ways. That's his goal. That's his prayer. And if he, again, if he's inspired by the Spirit and praying in the Spirit, I think that one of the things you should notice in Paul's books as he prays is that God often uses his prayer to then answer his prayer in what Paul writes, right? In Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's also, in that sense, what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again, you can't just skip from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 to Ephesians 5, 18 and say, be filled with the Spirit. Everything he said up to this point between the two is important. But in a sense, what he's saying is that, that he wants your experience of walking worthily of the, of the gospel will, will culminate in you being humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. And being filled with the Spirit should look like that. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So I enter in again with some trepidation because how do you say everything you need to say about that, <laughs> right? Uh, and yet, hopefully, as we look at this passage together, we'll see how we can skillfully live, walk in wisdom on a daily basis by, again, avoiding foolishness and pursuing the will of God, but also by not being externally controlled by alcohol, which leads to just chaotic living, debauchery, but instead being filled with the Spirit and on a daily basis seeing the Spirit build into our lives the fruit of the Spirit and the joy of the Spirit so that we live in grace and we walk in grace and we share grace with those around us. And so I want to look uh, this morning at point number one, pursue the right joys. Pursue the right joys. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And we have here two concepts of the Spirit that are involved, and there's kind of some, 
some theology out there that says, hey, you need to have some, ex- being filled with the Spirit is to, is to pursue some experience of the Spirit. Like, if you don't have the Spirit doing something extraordinary in your life, then you're not growing in the right ways. But I want you to see, as we look at various passages here, that there's two concepts that are involved here. That is the indwelling of the Spirit. When we are saved, we are, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. But then that filling of the Spirit is an ongoing relationship, an ongoing experience of the Spirit in our lives. Notice Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Here it's saying that the Holy Spirit of God is in every believer. <laughs> that no believers, in that sense, are exempt from having the Spirit in them. It's not like you're like, well, I've been saved, but I need the Spirit. No, you don't, you're not saved if you don't have the Spirit, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 12 says in some ways the same thing. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, that is the body of Christ, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. This Spirit of God is, is in all believers, Regardless of your external statuses in the world, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit in you. And that means that we don't have to seek for an experience of the Spirit to know that we have the Spirit. If we have trusted in Christ, if we, are, if we know that we are a child of God, we have the Spirit of God in us, working in us as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, we, he, the Spirit is given to us as a down payment of our eternal life. Not only that, but what does it mean to be then filled with the Spirit? Well, again, filling is something that he's referred to multiple times in Ephesians chapter, in the book of Ephesians. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet, that is, God the Father put all things under Christ's feet, and gave him, that is Christ, as head over all things to the church. That is, he's, he's controlling us. He's, he's using us. He's, 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 he's guiding and directing us. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And again, this is a reference to that creation aspect that, that God is recreating his world. That he, in Genesis chapter 1, formed the world and then filled it with his creation, right? In beauty and said, look, this is very good. And here he is, in a sense, reforming and refilling his world. And Christ is the one who is in the, in the process of doing that. And the Spirit, therefore, is sent by Christ to accomplish that. Notice, again, Ephesians 3, right, we, which we already looked at. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, breadth, length, and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that knowing God's love for you and experiencing that love is, is equated or comparable to being filled with the fullness of God. That is, that you're, you're living out the purpose that he's made for you. You're, in a sense, you're, you're overflowing with that love to others. And you're living out that purpose in creative and new ways, not like the old man that you were in death, 
But now, in the new, new person that you are, and again, we're reminded of what the Spirit does in the body of Christ. What, what, what is this new person that we're talking about? Remember, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what the Spirit is doing is he is helping us realize God's love for us and God's love for others in such a way that he's bringing us into this, this home that he's going to live amongst. And it's not the building per se, it's the family, right? Who wants to live somewhere if the family's terrible, right? Like if I hate living with these people, why do I have to live here? Then don't live there, right? In a sense. But God is forming us into a, a, a home that he loves to live with. And the Spirit is the one who's, who's doing it. It's taking people that are Jewish in background and Gentile in background who have way different ways of thinking about life and bringing them together into one family that he can live amongst and enjoy being with. And they enjoy being with him and with each other, right? And we're going to see as we get in Ephesians chapter 5 that that's exactly where the results of being filled with the Spirit look like. So the idea of being filled with the Spirit is, in, in that sense, is not this external control that comes and takes over me. It's the idea of, I'm realizing that the Spirit has, has entered into me, is changing who I am in such a way that I'm living out my purposes, that God has saved me for, that, I've, that I realize I'm chosen, that I'm adopted, that I'm redeemed, and I'm living that out with other believers in such a way that I'm giving glory to God. That's what the Spirit is doing, is seeking to do in my life on a day-to-day -day basis. A comparable passage that talks about the same kind of concept, right? So let's just look at the passage, and then we'll compare this to Colossians chapter 3. How do we, what joys are we supposed to pursue? Notice Ephesians chapter 5, again, verse 18 got to find the right passage there. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to, to the Lord with your, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here he says, these, there's these four, there are five participles that deal with what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? If you're, if you're filled with the Spirit, what does it look like? And he says, speaking to one another, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I've talked in the past about a chiastic structure, a chiasm. The idea is that the outer things relate and the inner things relate. And it's, off, it's, a, it's a Hebrew way of thinking, okay? And Paul is a Hebrew, even though he's writing, in that sense, speaks in Hebrews together, but he uses this way of thinking, right? And here you see there's two inner things and two outer things. 
He says the outer things are speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's two one another's in a sense that are out here. And then the inner ones are what? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. So the two inner ones are about God. So he's saying there's two things we do to God as a result of being in the Spirit. We're we're singing to God, praising God, giving thanks to God. And there's two things we do to each other. We speak to one another out of those psalms, out of those songs to God. And we also submit to one another. And so these two things that we're doing that, that, that result from being filled with the Spirit is we love God well and we love each other well, right? I mean, it's just, you're just going to summarize it in a sense. But he's describing what it looks like. So it's not an ecstatic experience where when you're I'm filled with the Spirit, I like speak in tongues or I do miracles or I do this or do that. No, it's just this daily skillful living of relating to God and relating to others. Let's, let's compare Ephesians or Colossians which is, a sim- again, he's culminating his argument in Colossians, and he says something very similar. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, okay? And this would be a comparison to be filled with the Spirit. So the, word, the idea here is that the word of Christ is abundantly in us. It's, it's, it's overflowing in us. It's, it's kind of the same point. Where, where we've received the word and then we speak the word to others, right? Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Again, there's or the context of wisdom, right? Again, of skill, doing it with skill, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So again, you have the one another's and to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's this comparable passage that gives you a, a maybe a better, fuller idea of what he's talking about here. Being filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are similar ideas, right? Because as we know from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, he says the Spirit takes the Word and it sows it into our hearts. He, he, he's the one who, who, who helps us, the Word, to produce fruit in our hearts. So having the word of Christ in us and we're thinking about it and we're speaking about it and we're meditating on it and we're sharing it, he's, he's saying the word of Christ is we're listening to it and then obeying it and letting it bear fruit in our lives. And the same thing with the Spirit. The Spirit is, is saying this is the, my purpose for you. This is my goal for you. And we're listening to that goal and we're letting it bear fruit in our lives. And so these are the, the, this is the idea behind it. Now, I want to take one concept of it and just, because I don't, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the, 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 the God aspect and the one another aspect, but I want to just talk about the, the praise aspect because immediately he says what it looks like is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I'm like, does that mean life is a musical? You know, you know, you've, you know, like those, those, those movies you have where all of a sudden it's like this movie's going along and all of a sudden they just break into song and they start singing their, their lyrics and they like, oh, is that what he's talking about here? Is that what he's saying? 
And I don't think so, mostly because most of us just can't do that, right? Like, if we had to break into song, people would be like, shut up, you know? <laughs> this is a bad idea. Life is not a musical for you. You can't keep a tune, you know, or whatever, right? So he's not saying that we have to sing everything that we have, but what he is saying is that we live out of a life of praise, that we're speaking to one another out of a life of praise. This doesn't mean that you never get into a conflict, it doesn't mean that you never hit a wall like where you're just like, I don't understand what God's doing here and how this, is, how this fits. It doesn't mean those things. It doesn't mean that you're never sad. Why do we know that? Because he says you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, okay? Like the psalms, like a majority of them are laments, right? Like, I don't like this, God. I, 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 why is this happening to me, God? That's, that's in the psalms, so speaking to one another out of praise is not this Pollyannish, just be happy all the time kind of thing. I have to say that because I grew up in the 90s, and praise worship, for the most part, was all just like happy, happy, joy, joy. I'm great because God is great to me, you know what I mean? And not that God isn't great to us. And we shouldn't have that aspect. But there is another aspect to praise that says, in the midst of my sorrow, I have someone I can cling to. There is someone I can go to. There is someone I can lean on. And that is a type of praise as well. And so when we speak to one another out of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's saying that, that we, we take the, the spirit the words the Spirit gives us in song and praise to God, and we share that with other people appropriately. Can I just use Psalm 42 as an example here? You, you, you know the psalm, right? It's the psalm that starts, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Right? Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, verse 7, he says this, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. That's not necessarily the experience of a person who's like, hey, I'm on top of the world, right? It sounds more like someone who's in the depths, correct? By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Sometimes songs are just prayers right? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Here, he's saying, look, God, why? Why? And he speaks it to God, in a sense, in praise. Why? Because he can go to God. This is how he ends it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? That word for cast down is the idea of a, of a sheep flipped over, upside down, that can't get himself back up. Why, why can't I get myself back up, soul? Why am I in turmoil within me? What? Because the only hope that I have is in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. At some point in the future, God's going to turn this around, is my hope, right? And that is praise to God. And, and so there's this aspect of which when he says, be filled with the Spirit, he's saying, in that sense, which is my point number one here, pursue the right joys. Pursue the right joys in life. 
pursue the skillful joy of realizing that you can relate to God in the midst of everything that's going on. Because he knows, he's aware, he's in control. And you need to have this idea of, you know what? I'm not cast off. It's not like I'm on the shelf. It's not like God doesn't know what's going on in my life and he's not concerned. To be filled with the Spirit is to realize God knows what's going on. He's known from eternity past how this is all going to play out. And the Spirit is with me because he has a plan to restore me back to himself where I'm with him forever in heaven and I'm rejoicing in God and seeing the greatness of what God has done in me and through me. And I don't have to despair of my own lack of ability to change nor my own situation and think, how is this ever going to change Because the Spirit is with me. He's in me. And He hasn't given up on me. He's at work. And that's the kind of joy we need in the midst of life. Not just the joy of, hey, I had a great day today. I got exactly what I needed done today. I I had a million dollars given to me today. If you have, great. Great. Tithe it. Okay, just saying. (laughs) But it's the joy of having a bedrock trust in God that He's accomplishing His purposes for our good and His glory in the midst of the uncertainties of life. Which brings me to point number two, which is I'm going to start in the middle, okay? What does this praise to God look like? And in the middle of this passage, he's saying, for those of us who've trusted in Christ, who have the Spirit, we can give thanks to God joyfully, right? He says, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This this is not saying that you don't experience pain, right? Just like I said earlier. This is saying, in the midst of pain, we have a God who loves us, who isn't going to give up on us. And we know that because Jesus Christ came and died for us and rose again. In my darkest moments, in my moments of greatest pain, the the hope that I cling to is, well, if Jesus, if God was willing to send his son to die for me... (laughs) and he knew I was going to go through this, then he must have something better in mind, right? We all have different types of pains. I was looking at something, just t- they were talking about different personalities. And some of us get pain because, because our, we, we think, well, I look bad here. We, we're looking at our self-image, we, either of our, our own self, what we think of ourselves or what others, others think of us, and we get pain when we think, I, don't, I look bad here. Some of us look bad when we're just anxious. We have pain when we're just anxious about life. We're just worried about what's the future hold or how can I have any fun here or how am I supposed to even know myself here with everything that's going on and I feel like I'm out of control. We feel that kind of pain. Some of us feel pain when it's just like the kind of the personal boundaries, like our personal boundaries are violated, you know? Like I'm kind of a peacemaker, so I like my life to have a lot of peace. When someone comes in and, and, and uh, uh, upsets my peace boat, I feel pain. You know? I'm like, I don't like this. I wish they would stop. I, either I'm going to shut them down or I need to run away. I need to do something to get back to peace. 
Some of us just want control and we feel pain when we're out of control. In the midst of those pains, how do we give thanks to God joyfully? And what he's saying is, is when we're filled with the Spirit, what we should see, I'll, I'll say this twice so you get it, what we should see is Christians approaching their pains and joys from an understanding of God's sovereignty and a trust in the Spirit's redemptive power that frees us to be thankfully and ultimately do good in the midst of hard things. What does being filled with this, the Spirit look like? It's, what you should see is Christians approaching their pains and their joys from an understanding of God's sovereignty and a trust in the Spirit's redemptive power so that it frees them to be thankful and ultimately do good in the midst of hard things. Can I just, like, we usually like to run from our pain, right? Again, I've mentioned this a couple times. I read a book recently that talks about how time management is pain management. Like, we just want to keep our pains away from ourselves. But you can never grow and you can never really experience grace if you don't look at the pain that you have and think, God can do something good here. God is drawing me closer to himself. God is going to use this for good in the future. If you can't, if you can't in a sense, look at that pain and, and, and just understand that about that pain, then it's really hard for you to feel grace. It's really hard for you to, to know God can do anything good because you're always just running from your pain, hiding it however you want to hide it. Most of us try to entertain ourselves, right? In today's world, we have plenty of opportunities to entertain ourselves. But rather than entertaining yourself, why don't you consider what God has already done and therefore what, might, what that might mean for what's next? We sometimes just run into this hard rock of, oh, I wish God had done this in my life. And he hasn't. Okay, he hasn't. What has he done? And what that, might that mean for how you should pursue what's next? Like, God can do some good here. God, can, can you position yourself in a way to say, I'm, I'm thankful for what... God has done, and I'm, I'm looking for what God might do next. That's that ap- attitude of gratitude, of being filled in the Spirit. Philippians chapter 3, I think Paul em- exemplifies this, right? In Philippians chapter 3, where he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, that I have not, I've not arrived yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and he's not talking about running away from your pain, he's saying, forgetting forgetting about what lies behind, forgetting all the ways that I thought I was good with God because of my religious upbringing, my religious you know, resources as a Jew. I'm a Jew, I'm a Benjamite, I, I, I keep the law, I do all these things. I'm good with God, right? He's like, I'm forgetting those things and I'm just straining forward to what lies ahead. What is he talking about? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I know God's going to do something good. I know he's going to ultimately resurrect me. And I'm looking for that goal. I'm moving toward that goal. And I'm thankful that I have that goal. Being filled with the Spirit keeps that goal in my heart, in my mind. Can, can I just use an illustration here? My, my brother-in-law is moving to Omaha, bought a house, taking a pastor in Omaha. And uh, um, so Amy and I on Friday, we drove there. Uh, as they were closing, because we we're going to rip some flooring out. Uh, and so they have about, well, I don't know, I'd say about at least 600 square feet 
of flooring. Most of it's carpet. Rip out most of it, not, you know, carpet, pad, boom, it's done. Oh, this is easy, right? Rip up the tack strips, fine. Two sections of ceramic tile. Ceramic tile is really hard to rip up. It's not very much fun. It was a lot of work. In fact, we got the, the, the carpet done in, in an hour and a half, two hours maybe. The next five hours was on two little sections of ceramic tile. But I enjoyed it. It was hard work. I was tired. But I had joy, right? Because I was, it was clear I was helping my brother-in-law do something hard. Like, imagine if Amy and I weren't there. You know what I mean? Like, we're doing something good here. It was tangible. It was specific. It was hard, but it was straightforward. Like, I know I'm doing good here. But then I come home, you know, after a hard day of work on Friday, come home, drive home Friday night, wake up Saturday morning. I'm just more into the normal issues of weekend life in a family of nine, right? Like some people are going to work. We got to mow the lawn. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to keep our kids off screens. Like there's all these things that you're trying to do in, in the midst of life. And it's not always straightforward. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to, you're trying to figure it out. You're like, okay. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah. And, and Matt needs his lawn mowed too. You know, it's like, okay. It's like your, your schedule gets changed in the midst of the day. You know, it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to be joyful in God when it's like, this is hard, but it's straightforward. I know what I got to do. It's harder when you're like, man, the plan changed three times in one hour. Like, what am I supposed to do here? What skillful living look like in the midst of life? How do I be filled with the Spirit here? But the point Paul is making here in relation to God is, you're still, in related, you're still related to God. God is still in control, whether it's hard but straightforward or it's messy and fluid. God's grace is still with us. And it means I, I have this space for grace where I can, I can relate to God. I can ask him how I should operate. I, I should seek to, to, to figure life out and do it with skill. And, and it might not go the way I expected to. And it may not be totally straightforward. Like, what did I actually get done yesterday? Uh, a couple of things, maybe, but not a lot, right? Part of it was because I was just tired from Friday. <laughs> I got to recover sometime, right? In the midst of life, I have his grace. And I can be thankful when it's straightforward but hard. But I can also be thankful when it's a little bit messier and fluid and I'm trying to figure things out. Why? Because he's still in control. And the Spirit's still working. And I know that's true. So, he wants us to just relate to him in a way that is that idea of we're just in his home, right? Like God's like, you're in my home now. Sometimes it's going to be hard work. Sometimes it's just going to be kind of like moving around and doing some stuff and you don't know what's going on. But that's okay. Why? Because we're just, we're just together. Isn't it great to be together finally? And some of us struggle with that. Some of us would just prefer it straightforward. Even if I don't really like God, at least I know what he wants me to do. <laughs> and some of us would just prefer to like God. He never asked me to do anything hard. <laughs> but it's, 
but God's a person. He does different things at different times. Can you just be thankful that you're with him? You know, that's, that's one of the biggest joys Amy and I had was like we had three hours to drive to Omaha and talk, three hours back, and yeah, part of the time I was working on a Bible study, but, but hey, we, we had plenty of chance to talk. We were with each other doing something good, and in, in some ways, that's what God wants you to think about him, like you're going through life with him finally, like, like you, maybe you didn't have him before, like you were alienated from him, and you didn't have him, but now he, you know he's with you, and you know he's working in you, not just to use you, but also to do good things, Right? So can you relate to God by thanking him joyfully in this space of grace that you have? But then also we, we are to submit to one another reverently. Submit to one another reverently. Again, it says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I put this in here just up front because I realize submission is kind of a tricky topic, but this is, submission is always a three-way relationship. You have God, the other person, and you. And so we don't just submit to the other person without also submitting to God. If, if, God is, if someone is saying, let's disobey God, you say, well, I've got to obey God rather than men. It's always a three-way relationship. But we are called to submit to one another Again, what does this look like? I think overall what you should see when we're filled with the Spirit and we're seeking to submit to one another is what you should see is Christians talking to one another about how God, Christ has changed their lives and purpose and how they delight in submitting to the role they have and listening to one another and doing good to the other person. Now, Paul then goes on and applies this, right? He takes this concept and he applies it to husbands and wives, to parents and children to masters and slaves. All various dynamics of submission in all three of those. But the point when he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is all of them are submitting to the role they need to play. Like if I have my wife, I don't just be like, well, I've got a wife. She's got to submit to me, but I don't have to submit to her. No, you've you've got to submit to what she needs from you. You have a role to play. You can't be like, well, I can just do whatever I want. Parents, you have children. They're supposed to submit to you, but you're also submit to being their parents. Like, you've got to play the role. You've got to do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to realize that you need to walk before them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, bring them up in that. Partially, it means, as we'll see when we get there, that means that you are walking in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. (laughs) Like, it's in you. And then it's overflowing to them. And, and so the idea here is that, that we realize that the people in our lives are, are valuable, that we submit to, to having them in our lives. You know what the church is, right? It's Jews and Gentiles coming together. And sometimes the Jews were like, I wish God hadn't brought the Gentiles in. <laughs> and sometimes the Gentiles are like, those weird Jews, I wish he hadn't brought those guys in. You know what I mean? But they both submit to the Spirit's work and bringing them into the same body of Christ. And sometimes in the church, we have the same thing. We're like, why, why did God save that guy? You know, I don't, I don't. And you're like, no, you submit to the fact that he brought that person in. And you're like, okay, I need to listen to them and I need to care for them. And I need to see how to love them. Not like, well, I don't like that particular Christian, so I'm, I'm going to ignore them. 
So that's, so that's the positioning yourself to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like Christ is doing something here beyond what I can see, beyond what I can fully understand. We live in a competitive world, right? We live in a world where it's all about, well, I'll relate to you if you can help me get ahead. <laughs> I'll get on the right sports teams so I can get ahead. I'll hang out with the right people so I can look cool. I, I'll, I'll, I'll get the right kinds of jobs so I can have the right kind of income so I can get what I want or I look good to other people. And being filled with the Spirit says, no, it's not about those things. It's about understanding the relationships God has put you in and seeking to welcome those people and listen to those people and love those people. That's what submission looks like in the church is realizing God has brought these people into my life and I need to love them for who they are and love them to help them and point them to Jesus Christ. That's why we seek to build teams here in the church. It's not just like, okay, you got your one thing, you, you go to your thing. No, we're, we're in this together. We're seeking to work together to love one another, to build one another up. And so we're going to look over the next few minutes at, or the next few weeks at what that husbands and wife dynamic looks like. How do, how do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? How do we live in the Spirit together? We're going to do that with parents and children and with masters and slaves, or you might say workers and or bosses, right? Why? The whole goal right here is that we are filled with the Spirit. And can I just make the point here, because we, sometimes you argue, is, is the Spirit just something spontaneously doing something in me? Well, Paul does say in, in Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he says the spirit, the spirit is the Spirit of order and not confusion. In some ways, when you talk about being filled with the Spirit, you should consider, if you're going to walk skillfully in the Spirit, what should my kind of rule of life be? How should I order my life so I can have the space for grace? Maybe I need some time with God and I'm thinking about what God's doing and I'm, I'm thanking him for what he's doing. I need some time to, to, with others. Like, okay, I need to, it's not just all about what I've got to get done in my own life, but I need to relate to others. How can I give time and effort to the other people in my life? A phrase for that is called a rule of life. And it doesn't mean that you're creating all these rules in your life. It's just saying, I, I have this general plan for how I think God wants to use me right now in certain ways. And if and if you'd like some information about that or how to think that through or maybe pursue creating a rule of life for yourself, you can, you can use the app and the signups. There's just a rule of life sign up. You can send me your email and I'll send you information. Or you can use one of the, the cards in the, in the seats and just fill out and drop it in the boxes in the back and I'll try to get you that information as well because it's probably more than the sermon can bear at this point. <laughs> the point is this. Paul is saying to you, in culmination here, you have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in you. He's, he's changing you. He's using you to bless others. And you can let that overflow in your life and be useful, or you can, you can in a sense, quench the Spirit and, and keep the Spirit from flowing in your life to other people. What's it going to be? And it looks prim primarily with God as if you, you just, you, you're, you're grateful. You, you engage your pain in, in, in healthy ways and you say, okay, God, what are you doing here? I'm going to trust you because I believe you're doing good here. 
It, it means approaching life from that perspective with God, and it means how can, I, how can I submit to the fact that there's other people in my life that need my love, need my care? How do, how do I use my time well to bless them? And, and as the Spirit, as you skillfully do that, the Spirit works in you and changes you. It gives you that joy in the Lord that you're like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. I know God loves me. I know God's using me. I'm experiencing His grace in my life on a daily basis. And you also get the blessing of seeing the Spirit work and change others as well helping them see the love of God, experience that love from you in just little ways. So Paul's exhortation to you at the end of all of this is live in grace. You have been given grace. There is one God and one spirit. There's one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You are part of this amazing plan in the midst of this chaotic, dying world to restore people to himself and to rescue them from death and hell. You've been given grace. Walk in that grace. Grow up in that grace. Take, engage that grace. And as you do, realize the Spirit is not just you, it's the Spirit who's at work. He's, he's molding you and helping you and guiding you and directing you, illuminating God's Word to you so that you can live in that grace, you can share that grace. So will you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything? to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because we are filled with the Spirit and He's overflowing in our lives. Can you let that be true of you this week by seeking Him and trusting Him and praising Him and sharing that with others? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, we all need that, that sense of that rule of life that comes in and says, I know the Spirit's working in me and I'm cooperating with that. I'm seeking to let the Spirit work in me. Lord, I want to be someone who's speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sharing uh, some, sometimes my pain, sometimes my joy, because you are still at work in me. You're, you're helping me. You're, you're with me in the midst of life and I get to share that with others. I want to relate thankfully to you. Lord, it's so, so easy sometimes to get angry, to run away from you, to not relate to you. But thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for other fellow Christians who encourage me and, and, and exhort me to, to walk with you and to, to lean on you and to praise you. You are a great and awesome God. You are taking this broken, dying world and creating a new one. And we look forward to that day. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, help me to submit to the people in my life. Help me to listen to them and walk with them in love and, and encourage them and guide them as, as, as you give me grace so that together we can with one voice and one mind Praise our God.
the God who has redeemed us. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.